franchising opportunities are up 25% from last year and doesn't show any signs of uh, diminishing, which again creates great opportunities, but also uh, many traps for the unwary. Joining us again on the Legal Business Podcast is Jan Lennon, this time to discuss the opportunities and obstacles of franchising, business opportunities, and distributorships. that the information and opinions in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The laws of every jurisdiction are different and constantly changing, and each legal problem is different. And we're back with Jan Lennon from Rutherford Mulhall, PA, to talk about franchises and distributorships and business opportunities and the differences thereof. Hey, Steve. How you doing? Thanks for having me back. My pleasure. Uh, the last one was fabulous. Thank you. We've got a lot of good feedback on it. Tell us right out of the gate. Last time we were talking about intellectual property. Right. And this time, along those same lines, distributorships, franchises, business opportunities, multi-level marketing scams, right. or <laughs> businesses... Uh, well, it all kind of runs together, in my right. mind anyway. I'm right. sure you have a much better grasp of it, I would hope. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, but that's um, you're correct. I mean, a lot of times those terms get uh, lumped together, which is not necessarily uh, a good thing if you're either buying or selling a franchise. A lot of folks think that uh, the the bright lines between the uh, the various modes of distributing goods and services are, are not there, quite frankly. And, and one of the things that, that I do and my firm does is help folks that are either selling a franchise opportunity or, in fact, buying a franchise uh, understand the differences between the various modes of distribution and the really a, a labyrinth of laws that intersect that govern franchise uh, opportunities. I mean, franchising is one of the most exciting and, quite frankly, one of the most uh, uh, largest growing ways of, of selling products and services in the United States right now. I think a statistic I read in the Daily Business Review the other day uh, estimated that um, franchising uh, opportunities are up 25% uh, from last year, and um, there it doesn't show any signs of uh, diminishing which again creates great opportunities but also uh, many traps for the unwary and um, one of the things that you um, you need to do whether you're selling or buying is, is understand uh, the various laws involved and, and franchising uh, is one of the um, one of the areas of law where you both have federal laws as well as state laws that govern the business opportunities and relationships so you have a lot of regulation you have a lot of um, room for error if you don't know what you're doing and um, it, it perhaps is one of the most regulated uh, areas of business um, that's out there. Um, it's almost akin to um, offering securities or offering um, uh, shares in a company uh, for sale in the open markets. It's, it's just about as regulated. And um, it's just something that um, people need to be very mindful of. And every state has its own, uh, what they call generally as business opportunity laws, that also will interpret the federal law either um, making it um, a stricter uh, stricter standards or, or perhaps loosening a little bit. But again, it all interplays with a giant federal regulatory scheme um, that you have to be aware of. So I imagine I, it's getting even more complex with the internet. People are offering these business opportunities online and where you may be fine with, with if you own something and you're selling distributorships or business opportunities or franchises or whatever, well, franchises, that's federally uh, done, but you may be sitting in in Louisiana and selling business opportunities and all of a sudden someone buys one in Pennsylvania and you find yourself 
running afoul of Pennsylvania law and statute. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's um, again, it's one of those things that you have to be mindful of, of many different states' uh, business opportunity laws. And, and the Internet, um, you know, for better or for worse, has opened up um, the area of distributorships and, and franchising um, uh, you know, broader than probably anyone ever expected. And, um, you know, whether you're buying or selling again, you, you really do have to be careful of, of each state's laws. And, and one of the things that people don't realize um, out there is that very often they are triggering the federal franchise law um, when they think that they're really selling a quote-unquote distributorship or business opportunity. And um, one of the things that we do with clients uh, right off the bat, uh, particularly if they're looking to make some kind of offering, whether they think it's a franchise or not, is, is really go through with them with the Federal uh, Trade Commission guidelines and really help them understand uh, what what the federal law says about all this. And then, of course, try to counsel them appropriately on what the individual state's laws are uh, regarding these types of uh, offers. Um, the Federal Trade Commission um, has a very, uh, very succinct definition of what a franchise is and um, of course within that definition there's all sorts of factors but um, yeah I see, you, I see you brought the book along with you today. Yeah, I did so I brought the FTC think... regs just to um, just to make sure uh, you know we, we're uh, <laughs> we got everything right but it's uh, like I said sort of deceptively simple but the FTC rule states that a uh, franchise is a continuing commercial relationship in which each of the following elements exist and the first element is the distribution of goods or services associated with the franchisor's trademark, uh, again going back to the intellectual property issue, the exercise of significant control over or the giving of significant assistance to the franchisee's method of operation, and the third element is payment by the franchisee to the franchisor of at least $500 at any time during the first six months of the operation of the franchised business. So again, those are the three factors. But five hundred dollars. That's it. Yeah, it doesn't. That's, it doesn't take much. Two thousand and seven. Right, I mean, right. I, I, I spend five hundred dollars at yeah, Costco your, sometimes. Right, you know, that's your uh, your lunch budget for the week sometimes. But it's, um, you know, again, it doesn't take much to trigger those laws. And and the thing is, is once you do trigger those laws, you're put into a regulatory scheme that is again very complicated. There's required disclosures. Uh, if you do meet the definition of a franchise. So a lot of what, what we have seen are folks that come to us and say, oh, I'm setting up a, a business opportunity. Um, I need some help with um, you know some basic paperwork or intellectual property issues with my trademark. And then when we really sit down with these folks, we find out that what, they, what they're doing or they're arguably doing is triggering the federal laws that govern franchises. And if that's the case, they need to obviously rethink the entire enterprise and uh, if they do move forward, they have to comply with the federal rules as well as the state rules, and they have to come up with a, a very extensive disclosure packet um, that is required by the FTC rule. And um, there are a lot of factors that, you know, when I, when I was reading through those definitions, obviously there's a lot of lawyering that could go on between the factors. I guess, you know, the $500 uh, within the first six months is a fairly bright line, but the second factor, the exercise of significant control, control over or the giving of significant assistance of the franchisee's method of operation, um, that's an area where uh, is sometimes subject to interpretation. But once again, the, the federal government in their infinite wisdom has uh, provided some guidelines and they're um, under the FTC guide, significant types of control over the franchisee's method of operation um, 
could generally include the following. I'll just kind of go through them very quickly because I think they're uh, worth noting. Um, one of the areas of control is site approval for the new business, site design or appearance requirements, the hours of operation, production techniques, accounting practices, personnel policies and practices, uh, required franchisee participation in promotional campaigns, customer restrictions, and restrictions and modifications on the location of sales. Again, those are some of the factors that go into the control element. Um, and you can see that it wouldn't be hard to trigger some of those. There's enough of them there that um, you know you could uh, you could find yourself triggering those when you think that you're simply offering a quote unquote business opportunity. Right, and that's any one of those, not all of them. That, that's, right, they're they're they could... they're really factors for in, in consideration. And um, no, there's there's not like a bright line where if you you know if if you you can't have one without the other, they're really they're really factors that go into a general analysis of uh, of the business opportunity. Right. So some of the fast food restaurants, you know, they are they do have specific guidelines about where you can where you can locate the franchise, how it looks, what building it it, it is in, and they do offer. I know many of them offer extensive training to the the franchisers uh, or the franchisees about. Uh, you know, how to run it. I think it's called McDonald's University. They right, call it, right. Well, the, you know, you're McDonald's. absolutely right. I mean, the you know the good franchises out there, the real marquee franchises. Um, you know what you're doing if you're buying the franchise as the franchisee. I mean, you're really what you want to do is buy into their goodwill, their brand name, their marketing, their 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 successful business model. I mean, that's one of the things that you um, that's what you're paying the premium for is that you're buying an already tested tried and true um, concept, business concept, that either has worked or arguably works, and um, that's part of the deal. And, and one of the ways that the franchisors, such as the you know McDonald's or Subways or Quiznos or whatever it may be, the, the big guys, one of the ways that they ensure that their business model is uh, maintained is by having um, so much control and regulation over how their products are sold and presented, and that's why there's that obvious uniformity when you go into these places, whether you're in, um, you know, Dallas or Fort Lauderdale. I mean, they're they're all going to look the same to a certain extent. You know, the um, the mustard and mayonnaise ratios are going to be the same no matter what. The you know the the spices and the beef are going to be the same. I mean, there's very very little room for interpretation or creativity with these things. But again, that's what you that's why these franchises are arguably so valuable is that you're buying a proof of concept. You're buying an already existing quote unquote success. Um, and so that's why they are able to charge such a premium for their businesses is because um, they have had so much control and success over this particular business model. And that's, in fact, what you're buying. Right. And they can prove X amount of market share within their within their niche or within that, their that, industry. That, that's correct. And, and one of the interesting things, Steve, is that um, one of the... One of the areas that of growth, uh, either fortunately or unfortunately, depending on, on which side of the fence you're on, uh, is litigation by franchisees against franchisors. Um, traditionally, obviously, the franchisor as being the big company, the mothership, the one in charge, is um, you know has a certain degree of uh, leverage and resources that maybe the individual, maybe mom and pop franchisee does not have. But what we've been seeing recently is a real uptick in the franchisee fighting back. And what I mean is that if the franchisee buys the business opportunity and finds out that maybe some of the 
uh, some of the things that they thought they were getting are not there, or maybe the proof of concept is not working, or maybe um, there are certain uh, elements to the franchise agreement, the contract, um, that are unfair or are not panning out. Um, we've, we've been seeing some franchisees really fighting back and, and trying to challenge the franchise agreements that they've signed and the businesses they've bought. And one of the areas, one of the classic abuses, is where um, the franchisor, the, the company, sells uh, multiple franchise opportunities within a particular jurisdiction such that it's saturated or the you know if you have too many of these sub shops within the within the same block or same mile radius obviously you get a certain market penetration where there's just only so many people that are going to be able to you know buy sandwiches in that in that geographic location uh, and sometimes there are some misunderstandings or abuses in that arena where a franchise is really oversold in a particular market and that's one area where the franchisees have really been fighting back a lot where they buy something and they say hey you know there's one up the street you know I was led to believe that um, you know one I, I was going to be the main you know main franchisee in this location or you told me there was enough based on your demographic studies that there was an, enough to support two of these stores within this geographic area but that really isn't the case and your research is off and you oversold me and you know I want my money back or whatever the case may be um, and so that that's an area where we have seen a lot of litigation and um, we've also seen some areas where the franchisor will uh, mandate that the franchisee buy all of its uh, obvious restaurant equipment and um, marketing materials um, through a single source, and, and we're seeing that sometimes that source is actually a another company owned by the franchisor. So they're really locking these people into, you know, buying these products from another company that they in fact own, um, and they're charging an additional premium on that as well. And and you know some franchisees have um, fought back on that issue as well, and and felt that they really weren't getting a fair price. You know, if you're forced to buy your oven and office equipment from the uh, the franchisor that you've bought the franchise opportunity from, um, you can you can really see where you can um, be very boxed in and very limited on your choices, and in, in fact be uh, potentially overcharged or um, or taken advantage of. So that's another area where we've seen some litigation recently. I've, I know I've have a, an in law and uh, a friend of mine were also both involved in very different types of franchises, but my brother in law he went in and it was kind of the the perfect storm of of uh, bad ideas uh they purchased with three other couples a franchise for a uh it was a, a bread store and the idea was that you know two of the people in that six person group uh, were going to run it and everyone else were working professionals and it didn't work out and they they had some real problems my brother-in-law ended up buying everybody out and kind of making a go of it but he found that the restrictions by the franchisor was that they were very restrictive. He there were things that he could not do, and he went back and on his own. Uh, and his wife was a lawyer, so that helped a little bit. <laughs> but he uh, he negotiated with the the company and said, "Look, I, I want to be able to sell to uh, Sheraton, and I, I want to be able to sell to hotel restaurants and those types of things to supply their breads. I don't just want to be able to sell out of my um. my physical location." And he was able to get that, and so he there was some there was some back and forth that uh, he was yeah. able to do to get out of some of the elements of the contract. Yeah, I mean that that is, sounds like a, a classic. Um you know, situation where sometimes when you have a business concept and it is somewhat unproven and you, you feel like, you know, you're buying an opportunity that should be, um, you know, better tested. And, um, you know, you think when you buy a franchise that it, 
that it has uh, some some testing and has a, a proof of concept. Um, you know that that is unusual that he was able to negotiate that. He obviously must have had um, you know a good lawyer and uh, you know had some had some good arguments and um, you know I think that's great that he was able to do that and keep it to survive. But that would be a that would be a um, an incredible outcome in one of these things because one of the you know key things is this when you do buy a franchise is just continuing that control and limitation on uh, on the business and what you can do with it. And I don't I don't recall exactly what it was. I think he changed the name slightly okay. so that it wasn't exactly their trademark name. Uh, so he got out of, of some of that. Oh. Uh, the other the other element was, the thing that he was really surprised about was when they bought the franchise was how little uh, support they got from mm. the company. Uh, basically, they, they got a, a manila envelope in the mail with a bunch of rules and guidelines and where to buy their, their equipment and that was about it. Oh, yeah, that's, it wasn't wasn't a lot. That's one of the unfortunate sides to this this growing business is that um, the, it seems like there are just a incredible proliferation of um, franchise, you know, quote unquote opportunities, and also folks that sell them. The franchise brokering business has become um, a very significant business um, that you know wasn't really around 15 years ago, where. You have these third parties that are really in the in the business of promoting and selling franchise opportunities on behalf of the franchisors, and they are getting a cut of the business or however it's arranged, uh, a finder's fee or a you know broker fee, traditional uh, sort of brokerage fee for it. But what it does is it causes perhaps um, you know for the unwary or the uneducated, it could provide an opportunity for abuse. You know, you find a franchise broker. They are promoting whatever the fran- franchise du jour that week is, and um, we have we have worked with some folks that have gotten into situations that were really oversold. Um, there, I wouldn't say there were misrepresentations per se, but let's just say that a lot of the disclosures on the front end were not made. But again, that is not necessarily um, bad, provided they are, get out in time or they gives them some reason to get out of the arrangement. Um, before it becomes too late, where they've invested too much in the enterprise, um, but it's it's very. It seems like they're they're franchises now for everything, for um, you know automotive repair and uh, you know haircutting and and food. Obviously, traditionally is you know one of the the main areas where franchising. Um, you know that was really the birth of franchising, but um, you know it's really being applied to all sorts of uh, products and services all over uh, all over the world, and. Um, Again, it's 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 an exciting time for this business, but um, it's uh, it's really a uh, an occasion for for everybody to to really take a close look at what they're getting themselves into. Well, certainly, if you're if you're thinking about buying a franchise and getting involved in that, uh, you do need to do your homework and find out exactly what it is. And and I would recommend certainly you know try to talk to somebody who has that franchise. Oh, absolutely. And see if it's working out for them. I know there's expos going on every weekend around the country. Hundred is like a little mini convention, right? And right. people can wander in for I don't know ten, fifteen bucks and look at all these franchise opportunities. Uh, and also online, there's websites and directories full up with with opportunities. Uh, let's talk. We've talked about it from that aspect from someone, and I'm. It's growing obviously because manufacturing is shutting down in the U.S. and people are looking for other ways to 
put bread on the table for their families. Right. Uh, but what about what about the business owner who has a thriving business and they're thinking, I want to give this to the world. I want to you know put right. this in a box and, and let people go because it's, it's worked for me. I know it can work for other people and I right. can make a pretty good buck doing it, I think. Right. I mean, that's... Um that that's true. We you know we have a um, you know I have a, a portfolio of clients that I'm working with um, right now who are putting together a franchise offering, and um, as you can expect from our conversation earlier about all of the uh, pitfalls for the franchisee, um, you know the franchisor needs to insulate uh, himself or herself against um, you know the litigious franchisee. Uh, and really, the you know public at large, you've got to do it right. You've got to do it right from the from the uh, outset. You've got to make sure you're compliant with the federal rules. That your offering circular contains all of the disclosures, uh, has all the proper language in it, um, and that uh, again, uh, just as importantly, that you're also not running afoul of any state business opportunity laws. And this becomes particularly important where, you know, if you want to have the um, you know, the multi-outlet franchise. Um, and, in you know, a franchise can take on many different forms. There are some franchises here locally, uh, even in um, Palm Beach or South Florida, where they are strictly just want to be a local franchise. They're a restaurant. Um, they just want to have, they want to sell the opportunity for you to open up restaurants basically um, up and down the Treasure Coast. They're really not looking to become uh, the next Jiffy Lube or McDonald's or something like that where you right. have you have these restaurants in every every state, um, you know, every area of the world, every country, yeah, right? They're just looking Moscow for Moscow and the Great Wall of China <laughs> right, and everything, right? These are these are folks that are just, you know, their business model or their franchise model is just a regional uh, franchise model, and um, but again, they they need to make sure that they have their offering circular, uh, which is uh, I'm you know throwing around this term, but it's basically a technical term for the big phone book disclosure packet that you get. Uh, when you are a franchisee or you're looking to buy into the franchise, it's a big standard document that that contains all of the uh, federal disclosure requirements and uh, is a very very extensive um, extensive piece of paperwork. But uh, it has to have all of the right information in there and all of the proper disclosures. And uh, there have recently been some federal amendments to it as well, or, or some expansion to it. So. Um, you know the the franchise offering circular that you were able to uh, produce a, a year ago has has changed. There's some additional requirements. Um, so as a franchisor, if you have a concept that you would like to sell uh, on a franchise basis, um, you need to make sure you you got your federal disclosure packet together, and that you also understand the state laws where you are going to be offering the uh, the opportunity. So that could mean theoretically understanding you know your home laws where you are where your base of operations will be and arguably you know 50 other states laws um, so it's again it's not for the unwary you know the franchise opportunity you sell in Florida um, may have some additional disclosures than the one that you sell in West Virginia and so you, you want to make sure that you're very cognizant of every state's law that where you're going to be offering the franchise in addition to meeting the obvious baseline requirements of the uh, of the federal laws, so it is. There is difference necessarily. Just because you're meeting the federal guidelines doesn't mean that you're okay in every state. That's correct. The states could actually ratchet up um, certain provisions beyond what the federal oh, wow. requirements are. And uh, so again, it's it's just one of those things that you you have to be wary of. It shouldn't scare you away if you've got a great business concept, um, but you just want to you want to you want to make sure that you are compliant on every level that just meeting the baseline federal disclosure just because you get together your 
uniform uh, circular offering uh, documents and get those squared away um, and those are compliant and, and look great and you've done everything right there it doesn't mean you you can just kind of stick your head in the sand and say well I've done all I can do you really need to be mindful of the state's business opportunity laws um, because there could be some additional triggers in there or additional disclosures or just additional issues that you want to be mindful of that that you need to make um, your potential customers or franchisees aware of and, and one of the things that um, uh, people that get into franchising don't don't always understand is that once you become a franchise uh, you are no longer in the business you're no longer in your core business anymore you're no longer at the restaurant you're no longer doing arguably the things that you loved about your business you really are in the franchise business which means you are selling franchises it means you're going to trade shows it means you're promoting your concept you really become a salesperson and I have worked with folks that have great business concepts particularly restaurants great products they want to do the franchise that we go through the whole thing and then they realize that wow you know the bigger part of my job now is really just selling my concept I'm not really even in the restaurant anymore and I really love that or you know um, and, and that's one issue just that's a, a business or a, a romantic issue that you have to be aware of when you become a franchise is that um, you know maybe you've got a great team in place and you can still be in the restaurant and the rest of the members of your team can be out there selling the franchise but that is a very key thing to keep in mind is when you when you go when you decide to uh, let the franchise genie out of the box that you know you're in a different business now you're in the franchise selling business and um, you got to have that infrastructure in place whether you're going to be doing it on your own or perhaps you assemble a team that is going to handle the um, the franchise sales but it's a um, it's just one of the realities of, of franchising that sometimes people aren't aware of you know once you make it through all the technical legal hoops um, you know, there's that there's that sale and business development hoop that you got to jump through too. Well, now that you've scared the heck out of us, uh, <laughs> what about the what about the business owner who does have a pretty good concept, but maybe maybe it's an online business, maybe it's a work from home type of thing, uh, and they don't have the the wherewithal, whether you know financial or time or whatever, to go through the whole process of franchising. Uh, how do they make sure that they can keep their concept and still maybe? distributed on the internet so that people can can use that uh how do they keep themselves a, a distributorship or just a, a business opportunity how do they do you that, have any a, do you have any suggestions for that or that's is a, that just that's, a slippery that, slope it is a slippery slope and it, it's certainly a, a tightrope walk that a lot of businesses run out there um again you you know probably the first the first level of um compliance or inquiry that you want to have if you are a business that is thinking of offering your business opportunity to other folks in other markets, um, you want to go back and, and review those those FTC rules. You know, am I exercising control? Am I receiving uh, $500 or more uh, as part of a, a revenue sharing program or part of a payment of uh, of um, of a fee to my to my folks that are going to be using my uh, business model? And particularly the um, the uh, intellectual property issue too. I mean, are these folks going to be using your trademarks and intellectual property in furtherance of the business um, because really that's one of the big baseline considerations is are you are you triggering franchise laws and you don't even know you are so it's a uh, it's something that folks really need to be mindful of and it's not to say that obviously there there's certainly plenty of other business models out there where um, where folks go into business together and they're not always franchises but um, very often we find people that are uh, our businesses that think that they are quote-unquote distributorships or are business opportunity enterprises but really they are actually 
franchises, and they may not get caught or um, <laughs> in trouble uh, initially, but it, it could be only a matter of time. And um, there are very serious penalties. Both, um, you know, the government can get involved on a state and federal level, and you can, uh, you know, civil and criminal penalties could be warranted. So again, I'm, you know, I, you're right in, in saying that I seem to be. Um, scaring folks about this but it's just it's just an area that cannot be taken lightly so it so someone that thinks they're a distributorship i really encourage them to get kind of a legal tune-up and take a look at what they're doing and make sure that um they haven't triggered any federal laws and also make sure that they're mindful of the state laws where these where these opportunities are taking place because they could still be um triggering some kind of state law that they're not aware of and it's just you know again they could be going along for quite some time and never have any problem but when when those problems do arise um, they could be fairly significant. Yeah, well, that's the last thing you want is to have a going concern and all of a sudden the, the federal government. I mean, who, who who polices that? Who would be knocking on your door? Federal Trade Commission, you know, which are uh, you know, serious serious bunch, yeah. And they they are responsible. They have obviously their, you know, the mothership in Washington, D.C., but they have, you know, a presence in all, in all of the states and are involved in um, uh, regulation uh, at, you know, various levels. And so th- those are... Um, you know, you'd be triggering uh, triggering the feds, um, so you, you just really want to be careful. Well, what about the the multi level marketing, network marketing? They goose it up in a bunch of different ways, but right. it's basically the same thing. They they have a product and they they don't have physical stores. You know, they they get people to recruit other people to sell the products and demand. Right. Is that those those that's generally where you hear the term distributorship? Right. I, I think one of you know one of the areas where they are. Um, you know how they stay out of triggering the franchise law it might be you know without without having any personal knowledge of them you know it might be that number two factor with that exercise of significant control over or the giving of significant assistance to the um, you know the the business owners uh, method of operation so if you are just giving folks a um, kind of out of the box product and they're sort of free to distribute and sell that product um, on their own devices without any involvement from you that might be an area where you could stay out of the franchise arena. Um, but again, you, you know, you're walking a, a very close line. If you're using someone's products and trademarks um, and they are getting, uh, you know, remuneration for the use of those, uh, for that name and, and product, um, you know, you just have to be careful. Are you really a distributorship? Um, wow. I, I mean, it sounds like because I've, I've heard a lot about them, I haven't been involved right. personally. But uh, I've talked to a lot of people who have. I've known a lot of people who have been, and it seems like they do give a lot of a, a lot of marketing stuff, right? Uh, you know, marketing packets, how to how to get out there and do it. Obviously, you're the the distributor is selling their products, right? And they're using their business practices to they're, they're perpetuating their business practices. If it's a multi level thing where you're trying to recruit other distributors. So it it seems like it would meet the qualifications. But some of them do, Steve. We we have uh, I have been personally involved uh, representing companies that uh, someone bought a what they thought was a you know distributorship, but really they had bought a franchise. And um, uh, you know when it was all said and done, you know the person that sold them the opportunity uh, was running afoul of, of various uh, franchise laws and um, had in fact uh, been selling really putative franchise opportunities that they thought were distributorships. So it is a, um, you know, it is a very, very uh, uh, regulated area that you have to be, uh, you have to be mindful of. Well, I, I think we've about covered it, Jan. Uh, is there is there anything that uh, we didn't bring up that you wanna you wanna touch on? Well, I 
I just uh, just a, a word of um, word to the wise. Just be uh, be excited about franchising opportunities. It can be an incredible uh, way to uh, make a living. It can be very lucrative, very rewarding. Um, but like a lot of things in life, just be very careful. Make sure you do talk to counsel uh, before you do find yourself in one of these uh, arrangements, whether you're buying or selling. Um, and uh, just make sure you do your uh, your due diligence, as they say, because this is a an area that is not for the unwary. You've got an incredible confluence of state and federal law coming together to regulate this industry. Just make sure you know what you're doing, and uh, best of luck to you. Yeah, it's always always cheaper on the front end than it is the back end. That's right. All right. Thanks, Jen. And that's it for this episode of the Legal Business Podcast. <laughs>